are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. So you ready this morning? You are? Okay, here we go. God is good. All the time. I think you got more in you than that, so we'll go again. God is good. All the time. One of my favorite psalms is psalm 46 and here's what we are reminded of the lord almighty is with you god is good and he is with you now there's this promise that i stand on every day of my life it's in the word of god and here's what the bible says in the book of hebrews it was god who said never will i leave you can you repeat those words after me never will i forsake you jesus said it this way i am with you always You're just kind of running off at the end. You know, you're just kind of losing energy as you go. See, I believe that stuff is true. I, I believe that is as true as any truth I've ever known. God is with you. What we're going to do for the next several weeks is we are going to study out of the Old Testament the life of Joseph. Maybe the most loved story, one of the most loved stories in the Old Testament. And Joseph had big dreams. Big dreams. Dreams that he was going to rise to greatness, okay? But something happens in Joseph's life. And so if you want to open your Bible to Genesis chapter 37, going to begin reading in verse 23, Okay? And Jake is going to read the scripture. You say, why? Because you gave him his local minister's license? No, because we dressed alike. <laughs> How lame is this? <laughs> so here is God's word for you today. <laughs> so when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing. And they took him and threw him into the cistern. The cistern was empty. There was no water in it. As they sat down to eat their meal, they took, looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their cam- camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh. And they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites, who took him to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the cistern and saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes. He went back to his brothers and said, the boy isn't there. Where can I turn now? Then they got Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, and dipped the robe in the blood. They took the ornate robe back to their father and said, we found this. Examine it to see whether it's your son's robe. He recognized it and said, It is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. 
Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, I will continue to mourn until I join my son in the grave. So his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. Thank you, Jacob. I was riding in my car two and a half weeks ago, turned on the news. The only thing that was being reported was that something had happened in the country of Belgium. At the airport, two bombs had gone off and one at a metro station. Everybody's wondering what's happening. This is obviously a terrorist attack. When everything was said and done, 32 people had become the victims of the bomb and were killed. Over 300 more were injured. And the whole world kind of stopped and said, who would do such a thing? And a group called ISIS raised its hand and said, we did such a thing. What in the world are we going to do with ISIS? You see, I realize when I, when I remind you of that event that happened only a couple of weeks ago, that I'm, that I'm standing in a church in a city where you understand very well what it is to be the victims of the bomb of a terrorist. And throughout your lives, you've had to endure things like that. Heartbreaks, tragedies, problems, struggles, sickness, death, even the bomb of a terrorist. And it's in moments like those that people begin to ask the question, so where is your God now? I stood here a minute ago, <laughs> jumped up here with energy and said, Hey, God is good. And you said all the time. And I said, I love this Psalm 46. God is with us. And we said, yay. And then I say, repeat after me. I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you. And you all repeated after me. And Jesus said, I'm with you always. And we all said, we love this stuff. But when our dreams are shattered, the enemy tempts us to ask a question. So where are you now? if you're always with us. And I think these are the kinds of questions as we study the life of Joseph that we have a chance of gaining some understanding of, okay? So I want to take a little while to talk to you about his life. I told you over the years that I was raised in a small Kentucky town and growing up there, um, there was a lady who was kind of uniquely involved in my life. She wasn't a grandmother, but she was like an adoptive grandmother. But we were not related to her. Her name was Alice, and she was a neighbor of ours. So when I was born, I think I've told you the story before, she said that I was the most beautiful baby she has ever seen in her life. And that was kind of the start of this friendship. And so what she did was she bought me almost everything I ever owned. She would get upset if my mother would buy me clothes, okay? 
I remember saying to her once, I really want a mini bike. And she lived on a very limited income, but she saved her money and bought me a motorcycle. So that was the kind of person she was in my life. So we had this picture at our house, and it's kind of an interesting picture. Um, I think I might have told you, she always said, I'm, I'm, you, you know, Ricky, you're going to be a preacher. And the reason she knew I was going to be a preacher was because when I was just a crawler, she put me on one end of the room, and on the other end of the room, she put a bottle and a Bible. And she said I crawled to the Bible, which meant I was going to be a preacher and not an alcoholic. (laughs) Might I suggest if you do that with your kids, give some more options. Because to me, those seem really drastic, okay? Anyway, there's this picture that my mom has. And she loves to remind me of the picture because it's on Christmas morning. And I am standing posing for a picture with everything that Alice had bought me for Christmas. Okay, so I'm, I'm, a, I'm six years old. I think I'm in first grade. And I'm holding on to the handlebars of a new bicycle. And I am wearing a cowboy hat and a vest with a badge, a sheriff's badge, and guns and holsters and boots. All right? I mean, if you're talking about gun smoke, I look like Marshall Dillon. And some of you are saying probably more like Festus. And everybody under 30 is saying, I have no idea what you're talking about. I have no idea what you're saying. And I remember sitting on the floor beside me, there's this big box of building blocks. And so I'm sitting there with all of my bicycle and all my, you know, gun smoke paraphernalia and and then the building blocks. And my mother says to me not long ago, Ricky, when Alice bought you all of that for Christmas, do you know what she gave your brother Terry and your sisters, Lyndon Darla, that year? And I said, what did she give them? And my mom said she gave them... One single quarter each. 25 cents. You say, why did she do that? Because she loved me more. (laughs) My siblings knew she loved me more. My mom and dad knew she loved me more. She knew that she loved me more. I knew that she loved me more. People who knew us knew that she loved me more than anybody She was elderly, she was lonely, she had almost no family, and the family she had, she was estranged from, and she loved me. So when you open the Bible to Genesis chapter 37, you know what the Bible says? Jacob, the father of Joseph, loved Joseph more than any of his other 11 sons. He loved him more. And just as a side note, Jacob, who God said, I'm not calling you Jacob anymore. I'm calling you Israel. Oh, so when we talk about the children of Israel in the Bible, we're talking about the descendants of Jacob. Exactly. And the 12 sons that he had became the leaders of the 12 tribes of Israel. Exactly. So when we say Israel, we really mean Jacob. Right. It's a person. The nation of Israel is the nation of a man whose name was Jacob. But he had a son that he loved more. You say, well, why did he love him more? And here's the answer to it. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 37, because he was born to him in his old age. So is that the truth? That's the truth. Is that the entire story? No, that's not the entire story. Here's the rest of the story. Jacob loved Joseph because he was the first son of his favorite wife. So he had more than one wife. Yes, he had a wife named Rachel. He had a wife named Leah. And he had wives who were their servants. And so here's what happened. Jacob gets into a family mess and he has to leave town. We won't go into detail now, but it's a major part of the book of Genesis. And he goes and stays with a distant relative whose name was Laban. 
Laban says after a month, Jacob, you're a hard worker. I can't expect you to work for nothing. How could I pay you? And he says, well, your daughter Rachel is very beautiful. And you know what the Bible says about Rachel? She had a lovely figure. Now, somebody may say you have a lovely figure. I don't know, Drew, if anybody's ever told you that. But if they do, you may or you may not. But if God's Word says you have a lovely figure, you probably have a lovely figure, right? And so he says, I'll tell you what, I'll work for seven years if you will give me Rachel as my wife. And Laban said, done deal. He worked for seven years, but the Word of God says that it seemed like only a short while because of his great love for Rachel. And that's when the whole congregation says, aww. And after seven years, he says, I'm ready for my wife. And Laban gives him her older sister, Leah. Do you know what the Bible says about Leah? She was hard on the eyes. (laughs) Now, if somebody says you're ugly, you may or may not be. But if God's Word says you're ugly, guess what? You're ugly. (laughs) He protested and said, what's up with this? And he said, come on, you know better than this. Jacob, we don't give our youngest daughters in marriage first. We give our oldest daughters in marriage first. I'll tell you what, work seven more years and I'll give you Rachel. And so he worked seven more years and Laban gave him Rachel. Leah had sons and the servants had sons, but Rachel could not have a child. And finally, the Word of God says, God remembered Rachel. And she conceived and gave birth to a son, and she named him Joseph. And Jacob loved him more. You want the proof of his love? He made him a robe, a very colorful robe, a robe with many colors. I looked for a jacket this week. That would have every color in it. And, and I could not find one. And, and this morning, somebody brought me a shirt that was very colorful, but I could not get it on. I've got to stop going to the gym like I'm going to the gym. I, I just could not get it on. But anyway, I wanted to put something on like that, but I have nothing to show you. But it was this very, very, very colorful robe. And you know what the Bible says? So his brothers hated him. It gets better and it gets worse. One time he has a dream. And he wakes up the next morning and says to his brothers, I had this dream. Oh yeah? Tell us about your dream. I dreamed that we were all out together binding sheaves of grain, okay, tying them off. And my sheave stood upright and all of your sheaves bowed down to me. You can imagine how that went over. They said, what are you thinking? You're going to rule over us someday? And they hated him even more. He had another dream, and the dream was that the moon and the sun and 11 stars in the sky bowed down to worship him. And his dad said, Joseph, are you thinking me and your mother and your brothers are going to bow down to you? And they became even more jealous of him. So one day, his brothers take the flocks to gaze in Shechem. And they've been gone for a few days, and his father says, Hey, Joseph, why don't you go check on your brothers? His father would ask him to do that on occasion, and sometimes he would come back and he would tell on his brothers. He'd bring a bad report, the Bible says. And so he takes off to Shechem. They're not there. And a friendly man says, Well, maybe they're in Dothan. And so he goes 20 more miles, now 80 miles from home, to check on his brothers. And his brothers see him coming. And you know what they said? 
here comes the dreamer. And they plotted to kill him. They stripped him of his beautiful coat and they threw him in a cistern, a hole in the ground. And they decided not to kill him. As Jake read to you in the scripture a moment ago, they decided instead we will just sell him into slavery. And so that's what happened to Joseph. There's a side note here, and I don't think we can just drive by it without stopping and pausing for a few moments and taking a look. And that is that his brothers, with the exception of Reuben, the oldest brother, decided to plot and become involved in a cover-up. And they lied. And they deceived their father. And they committed themselves to living the rest of their lives with a secret. And it makes you ask the question, doesn't it? Who really became a slave in the story? Joseph or his brothers? A couple of years ago, a movie came out and it was called 12 Years a Slave. I reread the synopsis of the movie this week and the story is about a guy whose name was Solomon Northup. It was pre-Civil War days, and Solomon lived as a free man, a free black man in upstate New York. And one day, some very bad people abducted Solomon, and they sold him into slavery. Here was a man who was living in a home with his wife and his children, working at a job every day. And all of a sudden, he is scooped up and he is hauled off and he is sold into slavery. The person who bought him treated him with great cruelty. He whipped him and he beat him. And after 12 years of living as a slave, a man listened to his story and believed him and helped him gain his freedom. And he went back home again to live with his wife and his two children. When I read you the story of Joseph, it's thousands of years ago. You know, it's, it's hard to relate. It's hard to connect. But we can connect with one of the blackest marks we have on our face as a nation, and that is slavery. And I try to imagine Joseph in shackles, hands and feet. And all of those dreams that he had of one day rising to greatness, where are your dreams now, Joseph? They're shattered. And it's when our dreams are shattered that the enemy tempts us to ask the question, where's God? Where are you? Do you know what's happening to me? That's what we're tempted to do. And so we find Joseph now as a broken man. Brokenness is something that is interesting to me. So Annette and I, we were together the other night, and we were going to go to a Sprint store, and we did, and we were going to pick her up a phone. And uh, we ended up making it a date. We spent two hours in the Sprint store. You had to wait a while, and then after you waited a while, then it just, it's a lot of clicking to get you a phone. You just have to click a long time to finally get it all worked out. And so the nicest young gal was working on us, working for, uh, working to help us, and, and, uh, she was kind and friendly, and I said to her, Aisha, are you a student? And she goes, I am. 
And I said, so what are you majoring in? And she told me, and I said, what do you want to do? She goes, I want to be a doctor. That's my long-term goal. I said, what kind of a doctor do you want to be? She says, I want to be an oncologist. And then she kind of looks up and smiles, and she said, it comes out of my own experience. I said, Aisha, did you have cancer? She said, my mother had cancer. I said, did your mother survive cancer? And she smiled, and she said, she did. And here's what this young college student is saying to us. You know what I really want to do with my life? Out of the brokenness that happened to our family, out of our struggle, out of our trial, out of our, you know, at times living hell that we went through as a family, I have been inspired and I have been motivated and I have been challenged and now there is something that I want to give my life to. I want to walk with people who go through this struggle and feel the brokenness that we felt. So there's a guy who writes, and his name is William McDonald. And he wrote a book, and here's what the book is called. Lord, break me. You want to pray that prayer? I don't think I want to pray that prayer. Sometimes I think I probably should pray that prayer. That's a tough prayer to pray. And William MacDonald says in his book, he says, in a physical world, broken things lose their value. In fact, in a physical world, when something breaks, we often throw it away. Glassware or dishes or furniture. William MacDonald said, In a physical world, flaws are fatal. So we were getting ready for someone to show up at our house for dinner the other night. They should have walked in the door any minute, and a glass jar was dropped, and it just went to pieces. And we got busy, and we grabbed a dustpan and a broom, and we are sweeping, and we got the vacuum, and we're shaking things out, and we're trying to make sure we got all the glass up. And you know what we did with the broken glass? We threw it in the trash. That's what we did, because in a physical world, flaws are fatal. But, William MacDonald says, in the upside-down kingdom of Jesus. Don't you love this language? <laughs> in, this, in this kingdom that Jesus says, you should be a part of this. Come on, you should become a part of God's community. Jesus ushers in the kingdom of God and invites us to participate because in this kingdom, the values are very different than any other kingdom of the world, right? But in this upside-down kingdom of Jesus, the reverse is true. Broken things are precious. Love it. People reveal the beauty and power of God in their brokenness. And flaws become opportunities. He goes on to say, unfortunately, there's a temptation to hide. And a temptation to be ashamed of our brokenness. We live in denial and we try to project this image that only shows our best side. But the truth is our brokenness does not make us worthless. It adds value to us as individuals. Authentically revealing our brokenness can be the most powerful way that we bless others. And so the question is, William McDonald says, do we let our cracks show? (laughs) I thought you'd laugh, but you didn't. (laughs) 
And so he gives three examples. It's the woman who, because of a tragic car accident, grew up without a mother and father. And so what does she do with her life? When she gets older, she becomes a foster parent. And she shows children without parents what it is to be loved by mom and a dad. Or it's the man who, after years of addiction, finds freedom through the power of Jesus Christ. And now he invests his life in helping other young men who are struggling with addiction find freedom. Or it's the young woman who became a prostitute. But through a ministry, found freedom in Jesus and left the life of prostitution. And now spends the rest of her years working to help young women who are in prostitution become free from that way of life. And he concludes, so what about you? Where are you broken? Your brokenness is perhaps where you can best reveal the beauty and the power of God. I'm not speaking Greek, Alma. Everybody gets it, don't we? Because we're all broken people. I, I don't know that I fully understand it, Rick. So how, how again does my brokenness... But Well, I think the answer is the same answer to the question... Where is God when the wheels fall off of life? And the answer is found in chapter 39, verse 2, in the life of Joseph. Joseph is sold now to a guy whose name is Potiphar. And he is truly a slave of this man. And here's what chapter 39, verse 2 says. But, but, you ready? But, here's what chapter 9, verse 32 says about Joseph after he has been saved to this guy whose name is Potiphar and he is going to serve him as his slave. And the Word of God says in chapter 39, verse 2, but the Lord, the Lord, the Lord God himself was, was with, was with Joseph. And then what happens when you continue the chapter and Joseph gets slammed into prison for doing something that he did not do? The Bible says again, while Joseph is slammed in prison, but it says it again, the Lord, the Lord was with Joseph. And here's what I want to happen really bad this morning. I want you to leave here in a few minutes and I want you to be able to say when you walk out the doors, okay, when life is going really, really good because Joseph even had the coat to prove it. My dad loves me best. Life is going really good. Therefore, God must be with me, right? Because that's the way we think. When life is going really good, then that means God must be with me, right? When life is going really good, God is with me. But when life is as dark and as difficult as it ever has been, guess what? God is with me. And we're going to unfold this story in the next few weeks and see how God walked with Joseph through those trials in his life. God had not forsaken anybody and He hasn't forsaken you. I'm here to stand on this platform this morning and say that I stand here as much as I stand on the truth that God will never leave me, never forsake me. Jesus promised, I'm always with you. And the psalmist said, the Lord Almighty is with us. And He's with you. And some of you are having the best days of your life right now. 
And God is with you. And some of you are in the darkest moments you've ever gone through. Let me tell you something. God is with you. So my daughter, Britt, called me this past week, early one morning, on her way to work. Daddy, i got to tell you a story I read, but I'll send it to you. So she sent it to me, but she told me the story on the phone, and we cried together. And so when I pulled it up online, this is the picture that came up on the screen when I tapped in what she gave me. Okay, this is the picture. It's a mom in a baby crib with her arm around her little baby. And one day her husband came home from work, and that's what he found. (laughs) And so he took a picture. And he did what all good dads would do. He posted it on Facebook. Because we need our lives out there. Otherwise, people wouldn't know that we exist. And we would feel so incomplete if we didn't. And it went viral. Immediately. And so she writes later about the picture. And she says, I was in the heat of this wonderful, beautiful, exhausting thing that we call parenthood. And yes, I did crawl in my baby's crib. My screaming, teething, tear-soaked little baby girl. Because I remembered a promise I had made to her months before. She said, when our little baby girl came into our lives, we were so thankful, so blessed, so overwhelmed. We didn't know we could love anybody like this. And finally, we decided we really should get out of the house again. And so after a few weeks, my mother came over and kept her, and we went to a Christian worship concert. And about halfway through that Christian worship concert, they wanted to receive an offering for a ministry. And so they brought a missionary up, and he came and he talked about the work that he's doing in the country of Uganda, and he told the story about going into an orphanage there. And in this particular orphanage, they had infants, a whole area for infants. Remember, just a few weeks ago, I talked to you about why in the United States for decades we have not had infants in orphanages because of the mortality rate. But in Uganda, there was an orphanage and they had infants, a nursery full. How many are here? Over a hundred babies. But he said, when I stepped in the room, I could not believe what I heard. Nothing. Silence. And I turned to my host and I said, how many babies are in here? And she said, over a hundred. How in the world do you have a hundred babies in a room and not have lots of screaming and crying? She goes, oh, when they first get here, they scream and cry. For about a week. And that mother telling the story said, then I heard something that I couldn't believe I was hearing. But he said, after, she said, rather, after about a week, when they realize no one is coming, they quit crying. Not in ten minutes, not in a half hour, not in an hour, not in a day, not in two days, not in three days, not in seven days. Nobody's coming. And she said, eventually, they just quit crying. She said, I went home from that concert that night and I sat down in my rocking chair with my little 10-pound baby girl and I pulled her little body up close to mine and I made her a promise. I know she didn't hear me, but I promised her I will always, always come to you. 
at two in the morning when I hear your squeals through a baby monitor, I will come to you. At your first hurt, I will come to you. At your first heartbreak, I will come to you. I will always, always, always come to you. I promise you now on this day, I will come to you. And I understand that that's a story about a mama and a little baby that me and Brittany cried over. But that is the promise that I live my life on every day. And when life is going really well, I believe that God is with me. And when life is as hard as it's ever been, I believe that God is with me. So we got the elements here. We're going to celebrate communion together. So sometimes we talk a lot about the grace that we experience because it is a sacrament, and I believe it is a means of grace. I believe God does something in us as we celebrate this together. But today, could we talk more about celebrating the presence of Jesus in our lives when life is really good and when life is really hard? And so this morning, we're going to celebrate his presence. Kyle, are we remaining seated today? I'm trying to remember. Are we remaining seated today? So with those of you who are going to serve us, it looks like you are coming. And let's worship and just be in the presence of God and celebrate the fact that God is with us.
So Jesus was with his disciples and he took bread and he broke the bread and he gave it to them and he said, this is my body that is broken for you. Take it and eat it. And he took the drink and he said, this is my blood of the new covenant. Drink it, all of you, and be thankful. The Lord is with us. So would you receive this blessing before you go? Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, be glory and power forever. Amen. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.